Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello and welcome back, my friends, to Fragmenters. We have Laura Cayouette. She is an actor, most notably known for her role on Django Unchained. She's an author and she's also a filmmaker producer. So welcome, Laura. Hello, and thank you for having me. Of course. So how did you get into what you do? Well, You know, I have a similar approach to almost everything I get into in my life, which is to say that I I get educated. I am a person that doesn't want to fail in front of anybody. (laughs) I am totally okay with the idea that failure is a part of growth and learning and all, but I don't like to jump into anything until I know what it's going to look like, so... (laughs) So I like to get educated. So I had already gotten a master's degree in creative writing and English literature, and I was doing that life when I moved sort of sideways as a storyteller into acting. And so the first thing I did was get into a wonderful school in New York and study a few years so that I knew what it was that I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You're not a, a, a leap first ask questions I later. I just realized one thing I forgot. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, I forgot my power cord. Hold on one second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. That would have eventually become a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> you had your master's and then decided to go to school for acting. What led you to pursue acting? You were a English teacher, correct? Yeah, I was teaching college English uh, composition. It was, you know, freshman comp. And, um, and that was my plan. I was going to be a a professor and I wanted to be a, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to be the best author in the whole wide world. And so that seemed to me to be a good, you know, a good plan, a good career, a good life is to be a professor and, you know, that whole publisher parish universe Mm -hmm. and spend my summers writing. So, you know, my hiatus, I figured that would be a good a good life. And I'm mm-hmm. very, I, I was very into the idea of that. that. That seemed like ambitious to me and, and exciting. And so when, when acting happened, it, it was this totally different other way of, of storytelling, but it was also a, a totally different way of doing life. I was, you know, gearing up for this sort of predictable, you know, you get raises at this point, you get tenure at this point, you do these, you know, checklist kind of life. Mm -hmm. And, and instead I'm in this, uh, it's not a job, it's a career and you can only measure it like when you die, you know, so (laughs) you you don't really know how you did till it's all over. And it's certainly no steady paycheck. Certainly, you know, it's a totally different way of doing life. That said, I'm really glad I did because I think the life I planned for myself. And because of the topic of your show, I'm going to just go ahead and say, I had wanted to be an astronaut and a race car driver. And, and those were to me, the jobs that I really wanted. And, Mm -hmm. and I guess when, if you ask a little boy back in the 1960s, what they wanted to be when they grew up and they said, I want to be a a race car driver and an astronaut, that would be far-fetched. You might think, oh, that's cute. It's never going to happen, but that's cute. But, you know, you wouldn't, you might still buy that kid little cars to play with or Mm -hmm. a model rocket to build or, you know, when I said I wanted to be an astronaut, I I got a pat on the head and, oh, isn't that so cute? So I, I understood that. And I, you know, I, I, I did what a lot of women do and a lot of humans do when they're, when they are five years old and are met with resistance. I, thought, well, I'll do a, a, a path that makes more sense to people. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't that I never again thought of being a race car driver or an astronaut. They all actually ended up in my youth married to somebody who wanted to be an astronaut. So I, <laughs> I, 
I've definitely still had it in me. It's just that I, you know, I'm a very pragmatic, practical person. And I sort of just left all that behind. So when acting came along, it was this incredibly non-pragmatic, non-practical life. And I'm glad that it Mm -hmm. sort of yanked me out of the life I had set up for myself because to be frank, the life I had set up for myself was the one I was doing because it made more sense to people. It made, Mm -hmm. it made people comfortable when I'd say I was going to be a professor that wasn't as scary to people as if I had said I was going to be an astronaut, you know? So I had, I didn't plan to have such a big bite out of the apple of life. And I didn't plan to travel the whole world and meet everybody and go everywhere and be in all the parties and do all the things and wear all the fancy dresses and all that. I didn't plan for any of that. It wasn't really a value for me, but I'm glad that life kind of said, no, that, that smaller, quieter life that you've designed for yourself because it was more comfortable for other people isn't for you. And I have gotten to be a professor and I have gotten to be an author and I have gotten to do all the things I had set out for myself, but not at all the way I thought I would, you know, I'm a professor when I get hired as an adjunct and find time for that. And I teach acting and filmmaking, not writing and English. And, you know, (laughs) like it's all, it's all happened, but it's all happened like dream adjacent. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's, Dream adjacent is a good way of putting it because obviously you had a desire for a life, a fast life. That's that's like a fast paced life. You wanted adventure. You wanted all of that. And it didn't put you in space or in really fast cars going roundy round, but (laughs) (laughs) you did get that life. So, and it was in a way that you still got to pursue your dreams, which is amazing. It is amazing. And I, and I honestly believe that um, if you have a dream that's eating you, that you have to pursue it no matter what, mm-hmm. or it's going to eat you until it's devoured you. So I, I do believe that, you know, if there's something that you're supposed to, if you have a calling, then you need to meet your calling or it will come for you. But, but I still I think for me, the biggest lesson was that my dreams were small. My -hmm. dreams were comfortable. That's a better word. My dreams were comfortable. They were things that not just made me feel comfortable about dreaming them and acquiring them, but they were things that made everybody around me comfortable. Talking about being an educator was not threatening the same way. Mm -hmm that yeah yeah that is that's so big so many women I know and I mean men too but so many women I know have this fear of being themselves because if if you're your big authentic self you get squashed and people feel threatened and get scared so being able to recognize that you're pursuing other people's dreams just so that you can feel safe and then being able to get through that and then actually pursue your own that is so commendable and I would love to hear everybody's story that's been able to do that that's what I want to hear from everyone (laughs) yeah well and and to your point about this being a thing that affects men and women Mm -hmm. You know, there's a movie called The Big Lebowski that Mm -hmm. was about a character called The Dude. The Dude Abides. And The Dude is basically the character of the holy fool. He's the person who is totally authentically 100% himself. And the reflection that he gives back to us of our inauthenticity, our inability to just inhabit our own skin, is a lesson to us. And I think one reason people love that movie is because they love his, how he does, the dude doesn't buy into the wearing of masks or the putting on of of costumes in order to get through life. He's just himself. That's Mm -hmm. what the dude abides means is he is always just himself. Well, that guy is based on a, a real person named Jeff Dowd. And Jeff Dowd is not only a friend of mine, but he's, we got him ordained and he married me and my husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. um, so, but I bring him up because he's a very good example of, of giving yourself permission 
to be your true self and then having that be inspirational to and actually to generations i mean at this point that movie's old enough that that it's inspired generations of people and predominantly men fall in love mm-hmm. with that character and in particular military and police you know people in regimented uniformed jobs are drawn to him which i find interesting but i i think the lesson he has to teach all of us is that well what i always tell people is this is your one and only life this is not the dress rehearsal yeah. So you don't get do-overs. You don't like, this is it. So if you figure it all out at the end on your deathbed, you blew it. Yeah. You know? It's over. <laughs> yeah. And anything you figure out now, you have to live by now, even if it's bad news. You know, I, I, I have a, a very expensive amount of integrity because I figured out young that um, my ability to sleep every night and not have my brain consume with thoughts of selfhood is directly linked to my living clean, you know, never saying things that I have to clean up later or, you know, and if I do clean them up right away and, Mm -hmm. and trying to live a, a life that, that I feel like my side of the street, I kept clean. And, and most of that has to do with positive things of like, never, I don't want to die with my mouth full of all the good things I meant to say to people. And I, you know, whether it's the grocery store clerk or my family or, you know, I want to make sure that I'm owning that part of my selfhood at all times and, and Mm -hmm. keeping all that current. So there's something about understanding life's immediacy and trying to live in the now in a way that is, like I said, like clean, that helps me to stay on a path. But it's expensive. It's it's hard. You know, it means yeah. that you have to make those calls. You have to write those letters. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to do all those things. But it also means that you have to like, like, I don't do commercials for products that I think are heinous. <laughs> and right. it costs me a lot of money. And um, I, I try to stay away from projects that I think are putting nothing positive into the world. If it, if it doesn't have anything to contribute, then I don't want to you know, and, and we can all disagree on what, what is a contribution to society. Um, You know, I, I had to learn that zombie movies are an important part of our culture and that people really get a lot from zombie movies. I had to learn that like from a book kind of thing, because it wasn't my, that doesn't draw me, but that doesn't mean it's not important to our culture. So things like that, of having my guardrails of how I can feel good about me and watching the dude he he is just purely in the now almost at all times and he is living his truth at all times and that is a lesson to us all of just not compromising the way you present yourself and not compromising the way you make your choices and the way you treat people and the you know finding the time and the energy and the effort to actually honor yourself yeah radical self acceptance yeah <laughs> that well, is the goal. That, yeah. <laughs> when you do that, that's sort of a weapon system. Yeah. Yeah. When you are owning who you are and how you are, that sort of keeps the wolves at bay. Even if they come for you, they can't dismantle you in the same way that they could if the situation were different. Right. If you have masks, when someone comes at you and pulls off the mask, you have so much damage control. But if you put it out there, like I am very forthcoming with my mental health, I am very forthcoming with the fact that I was a teen mom, you know, so if someone's like, you had a kid at 17, I'm like, yes. Right. Yes, right. I, yes, so I did. No longer. <laughs> Um, what is it in the, in those 12 step programs? They, uh, you're only as sick as your secrets. Yes. Yeah. Because they can be weaponized. Your secrets can Mm -hmm. be used against you. And, and there is some power in you being the one that owns the narrative of your secrets. And, and I, and I, I think some of that is also the difference between what's a secret and what's just private. Yes. That is something that I had to come to terms with starting a podcast. And I'm sure you did going from being a teacher to a very public face where people recognize you walking down the street. You have to have your your boundaries and know how to fulfill them and say, 
Like I don't talk about my sex life. That is a boundary for me. That doesn't mean I have anything to hide. That means it is private and intimate between my husband and I, and nobody gets to know about that. Yeah. But that doesn't make it a secret. And that's right. It's not a secret. It it just, that it belongs to you. It's not for public consumption. It's not Mm -hmm. part of the package you're selling when you say, come and meet me on, on my podcast and get to know a lot about me. Right there. It's, um, you know, when you invite people in your house, you don't invite them into the attic. Right. (laughs) Right. And that doesn't mean a little cupboard under the stairs. (laughs) It's not that you're keeping that secret. It's not that that is, you know, even off, you know, it's not even necessarily that you're never allowed to see it. It's just that it's not part of the house tour. Yep. Yeah. I like that analogy. So what was your biggest obstacle moving into acting? And especially I'd like to hear more about your um, filmmaking and producing. Well, I'm, I, I know what your next question is, is (laughs) what helped me the most too. And so I'm going to answer them both with the same one word answer. Uh, Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Woman is what held me back the most. And woman is what gave me the life that I ended up having. And both of those are for better or for worse type statements. Being a female in the entertainment industry is, and I'm no longer telling a secret. This is now public information. It is... um, not just uh, mathematically problematic, it is physically dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, our union did a survey and found that 94% of the women in our union report having experienced assault at work. Wow. So I'm gonna say that again, 94% wow. reported. So let's go ahead and call that 100 because those 6% that didn't report, that doesn't mean they didn't experience it. Right. Um, and honestly, let's not brag if 6% didn't <laughs> experience, let's not hang our hats on, oh, wow, 6% didn't get assaulted at work. Right. That's nothing to be proud of. There was also a percentage of men and obviously children. So it is dangerous. It is physically, emotionally dangerous to be mm-hmm. in my field but obviously more so if you're a female. It's also a type of wage discrepancy that I don't think you could find in other industries because other industries are policed in a way that ours cannot be. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you did. Yeah. I, I recall there was one time I was doing a movie and an actor who was playing my son had let me know that he was receiving more money than I was. And he was upset by it because, you know, I have three, four times the resume he has. Mm -hmm. My IMDb numbers are better than his. My box office draw is better than his. You know, like all the ways you'd measure somebody, even if you just use straight up seniority, like they do in the military or whatever, you know, but um, I had earned certainly far more money than he has earned for the entertainment industry. And I have proven more butts and seats than he had and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. By any margin that you could measure it, there was no numerical reason that he would have made more money than I would have made in your wildest estimations. Right. So he was upset by it because he felt that it was unfair and I wanted to be able to do or say something about it. And my position was, don't get me fired. Mm. Because I have to beg for that little piece of money and don't, don't put me in a position where they might take it from me. You know, because not just my paycheck is affected by me being a female, my ability to keep my work is affected by me being a female. There are more of us and that we're easier to get another one. So, so yeah, so I felt very angry about the whole thing. And I, you know, when you, they used my name even on the posters to sell the project. So it was, (laughs) it was very frustrating because there is no measure by which his 
value was higher than mine other than our checks. Right. And he knew what that was about. And, and this was previous to me too, but he, had, he was a young man and he was sensitive enough to understand that he wasn't better than I am. He hadn't earned more than I had. He just was given more money. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a discrepancy in a lot of fields. I'm very grateful for where I'm currently at. They are incredibly conscious of it. It's the most diverse workplace I've ever been in and not, not just diverse of people, but they're very conscious of equality on all fronts. So it's fantastic, but you're right. Especially when you're talking like dollar for dollar, the percentage and discrepancy for actors is astronomical. The only uh, other thing that I can think of is maybe like uh, soccer players, <laughs> men versus well, women. Soccer, soccer players, players actually just are the first people to ever have their equal pay uh, cemented in paper. They are now contractually going to be given equal pay ad infinitum. So like they're taken care of now. They're the first industry. <laughs> I use that mm-hmm. term strangely, but uh, they're, the, they're the first industry where you could get an equal paycheck to a man guaranteed mm-hmm. if you have the skill set to become a soccer player. It's like saying, I want to be an astronaut. I mean, how many people are going to be a professional soccer player? Right. Well, and that's why I brought it up because that was the only other uh, other instance that's so openly known is men and women soccer players. But yeah, that's that's changing. And I remember there was something in the news a few years ago where the two lead roles, one man, one woman, and she was making half of what well, the he worst was. One I think was when we all found out, was it Brie Larson? I forget who, no, it was Jennifer Lawrence, I think. Who? Yeah, it was Jennifer Lawrence with Hunger Games where she wasn't making the most amount of money and she's the lead. And the, I mean, it was, Look, the things that have been revealed about my industry are embarrassing and um, mm-hmm. paychecks are only a tiny part of the giant right. iceberg of wrongs in my industry. But I think that we're just like the women's soccer team. I think that we're hopefully I'm not in it. So I'm just seeing from the outside. Hopefully it's getting better. Well, I will say that I it's not getting worse. I mean, that's a step. (laughs) It is a step. And uh, I would say that TV took to the changes fairly quickly and fairly easily as compared with film. Mm -hmm. I think if you turn on the television now, you can find, I mean, you still have to look around for it, but you can find now plenty of evidence that, that women exist and have their own stories and even continue to exist and have their own stories after the age of 30. So that is a remarkable change over the course of the last five years, because if you were to look at the schedule five years ago of what was offered for television and who, you know, who was in those roles and, and what kinds of roles they were in, it was pretty, pretty bad. And now just a few short years later, TV not only has, a, you know, way more roles for women in front of the camera, but they now have more roles for women behind the camera. You know, you have series like Queen Sugar, which I have recurred on. I'll be coming back for a small part in this last final season of Queen Sugar. And you know, that's Oprah Winfrey and Ava DuVernay and, and they only hired female directors. And so that was pretty exciting. I never knew who my director was gonna be when I would go to Queen Sugar, but I always knew it would be a woman. And that was totally new for me, totally exciting for me, you know, a different way of, of doing my work day. So yeah, television has definitely understood that, that there is money and diversity and that you can't fight a tidal wave. So uh, they rolled with the punches of the Me Too movement and, and the reactions to that. Film, I don't know what in the world they're waiting on. <laughs> Just don't don't know what to say about the film industry because they certainly have had their time now to rethink and restructure and, and reevaluate. And I don't see a whole lot of changes. I, I do see that there are some 
a couple more films that uh, have more than one female in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are women over over 30. So that's something. It's a start. Um, I am noticing um, I have kids. Okay. I want to blame it on the kids, but last night was date night and my husband and I went to the theater and watched Super Pets. So I can't say it's the kids anymore, <laughs> but I am noticing in, um, in cartoon animated movies right. that there's more diversity. So at okay. least we're getting that there. <laughs> okay. Well, and and look, I we're still just a few minutes out of the whole Harvey goes to jail moment. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm uh, movies move slower. They take longer to gear up. They take longer to produce, and they took longer to put out. So, you know, some of this is lag time. And so I'm, you know, there's there's a couple of new movies coming out that are interesting. I, I think the thing that I I am still unimpressed with is that. Now they just are making the same movies we made with men, only with women in them. Yeah. And I I don't recall sitting around with my women friends saying, you know what I really would love is for them to remake all these dude movies with women. <laughs> that was not right? what we meant when we said, you know, I was not like on the edge of my seat waiting for Ghostbusters 2 when they said they were going to start making movies for women. That was not what I had in mind. I was looking Ghostbusters, whatever it was, number three, four, 17, whatever. I know what um, you meant. <laughs> Ghostbusters femme. Um, I wasn't waiting for that. And, and uh, you know, I, I think what we all meant was, can you tell some stories about women and or by women or for women or something, mm-hmm. you know, not one every five years called Steel Magnolias, but like, you know, like five in a year. Can you give us choices where we could, you know, they're 52 weeks in the year. Can we have more than one? And, and can we not call them chick flicks? I, I don't call men's movies, dick flicks. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, but, but can we agree that they're just movies and some movies have a broader audience than others. And while we're at it, can we not think that what women were asking for is a whole lot of visions of women carrying guns because that's the other thing is that the new trend is to make a lot of action movies with women in them which i'm all for in balance right yeah because well, also yeah. i need i need my boobs covered in order to be protected that's where my heart is you know (laughs) we can't be out there all the time if we are going to be toting guns cover me up well that is that certainly there is a value system going on there of that it's comic book characters and not women yeah um yeah because they all have the mile long thick mane of hair and the gargantuan tetas with the you know (laughs) rigging that makes you you know like you have three heads and mm-hmm. um yeah no i i just watched the first episode of the she hulk thing you know there's a new hulk series for girls and and i was the second she became the hulk i was just offended i was like really so now she has this gargantuan rack and this mm-hmm. huge flowing head of hair so when she becomes a hulk she becomes a sex slave like i'm trying to understand what exactly they were going for there because right. she looks yeah she looks like this character that was in the back of playboy magazine when i was a little kid i think her name was like annie fanny or something and she was always <laughs> accidentally ending up having sex with people and i that's what the whole lady yeah that's what she looked Dang. like to me as a as a a sex toy a doll mm-hmm. having sex with and I don't understand who that, who the audience for that is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's not my fantasy of what I would look like if I were a superhero, I wouldn't want to be a green porn star. That's true. Yeah. And that I'm not true. sure that men are li- looking for green porn stars either. I'm not sure that anybody is looking for the green porn star, but, and no offense to the woman playing her. Right. It's about the idea of what is female and what is female power. Mm -hmm. I don't want us to get our power from guns any more than I want. I don't think picking up a a metal thing makes you powerful. So, you know, I, I think 
we can do better for men and women than to just yes. slap a weapon in their hand and send them off to the races. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in other stories. There have been 8 billion stories about 8 billion kinds of men. I would like to see our thinking caps put on about what are some stories about women. Yes. And they don't have to be sad all the time or romance. We've got a lot more to us. <laughs> that, that's that whole thing is I don't, you know, that's the tampon commercial breed of movies. And I just, um, yeah. And I don't want to call yogurt. it because <laughs> they all have their hearts in the right place, I guess. But I just, yeah, I, I want to be entertained when I'm sitting down to be entertained. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I am liking, um, I went and saw where the crowd ads sing. Oh, so I do like female starred movies usually when they're based off of books oh sure. sure so maybe maybe that's that's somewhere where they can they can start getting inspiration from that's a well certainly certainly I but there's so many stories we haven't told yet that I'm embarrassed we haven't told yet like I I think the fact that my industry has yet to tell the story of I'm just going to pitch you a movie idea. Let's pretend it's not a true yes. story. I'm just going to pitch you a movie idea. Okay. There's a woman. She becomes a giant movie star. She's known as the most beautiful woman in the whole world. And she invents signal hopping and helps win the world war. Yes. Down for that. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So that movie is still not made. That's a true story. And why, why aren't we making that story? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, that's a, a good point. true story and it's in my industry. So it's not like my industry isn't aware that that happened and that it's an incredible story. And we have plenty of stories like that, that are incredible stories of women that have already existed. They've already made their contributions. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, how many movies are we going to make about astronauts before we make just, I don't know, just one that includes Sally Ride? Yeah. I mean, people don't know that name, shouldn't they? I think so, for sure. So, you know, it's things like that that annoy me is that that I'll be watching a game show and they'll have a trivia question about something that's about women and I won't know the answer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wrong that my education about what women have contributed to society is limited to some lady who sewed a flag and Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. And so I idolized Harriet Tubman my whole life because she was obviously the braver of the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was the one I, you know, held up as my icon for me. But I now understand as an adult that she wasn't really an appropriate choice for me. You know, I mean, certainly we should all admire Harriet Tubman, but mm -hmm. is she somebody I can model my life after? Not so much. And the I other mean, you could, I, but would you want to? Well, and I, I don't know that really I even I could. I don't I don't want to try and in any way compare my life and circumstance to that of a slave. That is true. That is true. Yeah. So so there's that and and then you know the other icon I was given was a blind deaf lady <laughs> yes so I think it's telling that we're given a slave a seamstress and a blind deaf lady and you get to pick which one you idolize yep so the question I have for you since there's obviously still a lot of work to do is do you think women should be in this field? Well, here's the thing is if women are not in the entertainment industry, then two horrifying things will happen. One will have even less representation and version of us than we already do. Mm -hmm. And number two, women who need the feeling you get when you see yourself on the screen or you see somebody battling what you've battled, or you feel your voice being heard through somebody else's story, or, or you've had a hard day with the kids and you just need to sit and drink a glass of wine and laugh at something. All the entertainment that women offer 
is essential to our planet being healthy, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because women have been pushed back from entertainment industry from the dawn of man. And, and I don't know how many people are aware, but, you know, like Shakespeare was always performed by men and, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. So the entertainment industry has always been sort of a, not a place for women. Um, and I don't think that's, I think that's how we got here. I think that's how right. we got to a society that can't even picture a female president, even though, well, it's, it's obvious why it's obvious why, because we had at least a dozen portrayals of a black president before we had a black president. And yeah. we are still waiting on even one movie, one, just one movie or TV show to show us a female president. Where They're she's not a dingbat or, cause well, I think that- talking about Meryl Streep in that movie last year, that's the first time I saw any president be a female ever because um, all the rest have been vice presidents. Oh, I don't know that one. I I thought there was, it might, I don't watch a lot of TV, but it's a TV show I'm thinking of, but it might be that she's You're vice talking president. talking about Veep? Oh, makes sense, vice president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well then, dang, prove me wrong. <laughs> well, I don't want to prove you wrong. I want you to be right, but, it, but mm -hmm. it's sad. It's, it is a true thing that we've never- the entertainment industry has never put forward uh, any version ever that I can recall ever. And I'm happily love to take on anybody that says, oh no, you forgot this. I would love to be wrong. But as far as I know, the, other than Meryl Streep last year, playing somebody who's not qualified to be president, there are zero portrayals of women as presidents in any major motion picture and or television series. Yep. Yeah. Leave comments if you have one, because I would want to see the movie. <laughs> right. Well, and then, I'm sure there must be one, right? But I have not, I have yet to find it. And mm -hmm. I this year got to audition to play president. And it was a, a role that was much smaller than I normally would want to audition for. But I was like, I want to be the president and I want to, you know, be one of the females who is portraying that women can be in leadership. And, you know, when they say you, she doesn't seem presidential, that's partly on my industry. It's societal. That's what you see and what is norm in your eyes, because it's what you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And I think that um, one of the last people I talked to on my podcast, she was talking about finances. She created a, a financial app for business owners, mainly women who struggle paying themselves. And what, what we were talking about is that men don't know this is an issue because men societally, I mean, always exceptions, blah, blah, blah. But men societally are pushed that you're strong and you're valuable and you're worth more. Always ask for your worth. Women are taught to be meek. So when you walk into a room and you're like, we'll give you 10 grand, you're like, fuck yeah, I will take 10 grand. And men are like, no, you'll give me 15 and the front row car seat, you know, car space. And men don't know that because they don't yeah. experience it. So in order for the white men, white roles in particular. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But in order for the roles to change, for She-Hulk to be, when she hulks out, she, and I've not seen this, I'm not trying to do anything, but it's, it's just what you brought up. But I'd love for her to change into the Hulk side and wear a lab coat and have well, stronger an muscles oh is she she's an attorney but it's actually it's like the worst idea for a show I don't understand how it got made <laughs> but um yeah she's an attorney and and so I guess she's a giant green attorney but but in any case so she she is supposed to be smart but you know, I'm I'm sure little Annie Fanny in Playboy magazine had a job too. It right. It doesn't well, mean that seen as some just toy. Right. And that um that's what I was going for. That when instead of strengths for women being tits out, guns up, you see 
a tight bun and, you know, notebooks and a laptop because she's smart or, you know, I don't know how the representation would be, but you see a man in a slick suit and you see powerful businessman. You say you see a woman in a slick suit right next to him and you see cold, hard bitch. That's just what you see. And I would love for it to not be like that. And I feel the only way that's going to happen is for women like you and many others in the industry that are finally speaking out and saying, yeah, this isn't what we think. And when I think power, I don't think exposure of skin. I think brain I I will say uh, and and anybody who has google I might already know this about me I one time wore a dress that is the kind of dress our elders would would say oh look at that dress she's almost wearing you know kind of thing and it was basically a Kleenex with chains holding it on and and I chose it because I understood that I might never be more powerful than in the moment I wore that dress on the red carpet. And when I look on the internet, I wasn't wrong. I, I chose that dress and it made me feel like, like a, like a Nubian queen or something. Now I understand I am not a black person, so it didn't make me feel like a black person. (laughs) That is not what I mean by that, but the manner of dress of it had fur and feathers and chain and like it had all these different elements that made me feel like an African queen. And I felt indomitable. I felt mighty. And part of it was coming from my sexuality being revealed. Mm -hmm. Part of it was coming from the fact that I knew when I took my wrap down and people could see how much of my skin I had dared to bear and how proudly I was owning my body. I knew what that would do to people. I knew it would back them up. I didn't realize we were in the dawn of, of things going viral back then. So I didn't know that it was also going to have some like global impact of, you know, being all over the internet. I I mean, we were brand new to viral. Wasn't even a term yet. So, um, yeah, so I didn't understand the whole ramification of how it would last forever and, and travel the planet. But I did know when I chose that dress that I was daring myself to own myself and that I was putting out there of, yeah, look at me, I'm worth looking at. And yeah, it was all very in your face. Everything about that choice, that showing that much skin was very in your face. And I liked it. I would, <laughs> I, you know, there were things about it that I'm uncomfortable even talking about it now because there, you know, it is a strange thing, but mm-hmm. to your point of, of where our power comes from, there is something, there was something about me wearing that dress that definitely made men weak, you know, That's so, true. <laughs> um, and it made me in that same way that, that men can get money for nothing. I was getting attention for nothing, you know, yeah. like all I was doing was standing there in, in, you know, my birthday suit covered in a couple swatches of fabric <laughs> and, uh, and it was causing all this, you know, activity and, and talk. And so, so I do understand why women, do that because you know that was really my only time of like using myself in that way mm-hmm. and I saw the power of it I saw how much you can get out of a moment like that yeah I yeah just... and, and forcing men to men and women forcing people to deal with your sexuality yeah and that that is definitely one way for it I just hope that one day we can get the same awe from intelligence. Oh, sure. And what we put out there. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That said, you know, it does cut both ways and we don't we don't ask the rock to wear a turtleneck, you know, like there there are there <laughs> well, are things That's that, true. Yeah, there are things that go both ways and we I think when somebody has a beautiful body or a beautiful face, what you know, we're drawn to that and that's natural yes. and all that. 
and it and and people like the rock and terry cruz have weaponized that with their bouncing peck moves and all that. <laughs> aquaman so, doesn't have a shirt yeah <laughs> yeah so you know it's not like i'm i'm saying that women um well in it doesn't matter what I'm saying. The point mm-hmm. is there is a, I found a place where that owning of myself physically, I got it. I understood it, that yes. it has its own power. And I was, I enjoyed that feeling of being so female that it was scary. Yes. And that yeah. is so good. I, I am liking the, the femininity being more out there for sure. So out there, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to Google it. I don't, I don't think I know. I think all you have to put is my name and dress. I mean, I think that's all you have to put (laughs) and the pictures will come up because it was, it was a moment. I mean, it's, it's like 20 years ago, but it was a moment. Yeah. Actually, I know exactly when it was, it was 2008. Oh, wow. I can't believe that's, that's 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Woo. Alrighty. So what advice would you give someone who wants to go into this profession? Well, for one, I I wish I had had the information ahead of time that this is actually a a dangerous industry for Mm -hmm. uh, human things and especially female humans. I, if I had had that information, I would have seen things differently and I would have approached things differently and I would have handled things differently. So if I'd understood that I shouldn't give the benefit of the doubt most of the time if somebody says something that makes me feel uncomfortable or now I say that you know like when they ask you to come to their office when it's not open or when they ask you to meet them at a hotel or when they now I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the first big break I ever got was enemy of the state Tony Scott asked me to meet him on a Saturday when the building was closed, the office was closed, and he and I were the only two people in the entire building. Mm-hmm. This is long enough ago that I will tell you he was smoking a cigar inside his office. That's how nice. Long and he was totally safe. And you know, I was I was safe in his care. But nowadays you're not allowed to do that. And I mm-hmm. think good because I really was lucky that I was safe. It was not a gimme. And same with uh, Quentin, Um, when I was auditioning for Django, uh, well, it was more of a meeting than an audition, but when I did that, it was in his hotel room and uh, we're no longer allowed to do those either. Now, I felt totally safe because I've known Quentin for 20 years. So, you know, I already knew that I was safe, but had I not known Quentin, that might've been one of those ones that until I got in the room, I might be scared and when you get in the room and see it's only him, you might stay scared, which is not conducive to auditioning. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. That is good information to have. Now, what was the best advice you've received? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I've, I, in my book, No Small Parts, I talk a lot about the advice and wisdom I've gotten from all the different movie stars that, that have you know been a part of my life and mm-hmm. and I have certainly been shaped and molded in in such a great way by some really powerful amazing men including Quentin Tarantino Kevin mm-hmm. Costner and Richard Dreyfus and Richard Dreyfus and I the very first day I met him I asked him a question that I used to ask every person that I when I was starting out I asked all the actors I would meet um, on Broadway, I would go and see their plays and wait at the stage door and ask them all the same question. And what I would ask was, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing when you were starting out, what would it be? And they, I got many amazing answers to that over the years. But Richard said something that I think really hit, which is, he's, he said, oh God, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I think that it's something about fear and not letting it make your decisions for you. So he didn't word it like a t-shirt, you know, it's nothing I can um, put on a coffee mug, but that sentiment of not letting fear be the deciding vote for me, that's huge. And it is, it is, it is good to get wisdom from men on how to do life because men have a totally different training on how to do Mm -hmm. life. And so 
I, I take that to heart, not letting fear make my decisions for me. I love that so much. And I actually, I've learned to embrace fear because if you're not afraid, if you're not doing something uncomfortable, you're not growing. Oh, for sure. I actually fear most of the time my fear shows up as imposter syndrome, which is the worst. (laughs) Right, right. And my note that I have, this is my, um, it says imposters (laughs) do not have feel impossible. This is true. This is a conversation I had with Quentin a long time ago. I said, how did you know that you were who you were? And he was like, well, how would I not know? I said, don't you remember in acting class, there was always some guy in every acting class in the history of the world. I I said, don't you remember the worst acting class person? Who was the absolute least talented person in your class? I said, picture him. And he's like, yeah, I got it. And I said, now, didn't he say he was the absolute best actor in your class? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, no, he did. I said, how did you know you weren't him? How did you know you weren't the guy? And I knew it'd be a guy. But how do you right. know you weren't the guy who is totally straight up 100% confident that they are the best actor in the history of the world? They're just waiting on their break. And he didn't have an answer for that because it never occurred to him. Right. Yeah, but we we deal with it. I especially for me, I deal with it all the time. And it was a man that said that imposters do not feel imposter syndrome. And I was like, yeah. oh shit. It's like yeah. totally changed, totally changed. Cause if you're in the room that you're feeling an imposter in, you've already earned to be in that room. So well, fear. I don't have just so much, but I, but I, I do, I do know a lot of men who do, and a lot of them are my fancy movie star friends, and I'm not going to call any of them out, but yeah, that is very common. Mm-hmm. And you're right, all the men that that I know that had it, they all are incredible. Yeah, <laughs> incredible people. So yeah. Well, I know you have a time crunch, and I. I also know you're human, so I like to give people bio breaks if they have, (laughs) if they have something coming back up. So I'm going to let you go, even though I could talk to you for a hundred more hours. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this has been, been, yeah, it has been amazing having you on, Laura. Thank you so much, Laura. It has been an honor and I'm so excited to get this out. I'll email you when it's coming out. All right. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff. We put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us?